this morning I want, we're going to have uh, Marvin Hunt. And uh, I first met Marvin, I think, when I was around 14 years old. Uh, he, our church, our, we had a little house church in the, this place called in the cusp uh, that was connected to this church many years ago. And uh, he came up there with his, I, I think at that time, might have been just Josh and Luke. I, I don't, I don't, 1984, so I don't know if you had three by then, maybe one, one more as well. And they came, and that's where we first met them. And, uh, and then I came here to Bible college, and Marvin was one of my, uh, my instructors, and he taught marriage and family. It was one of the courses that he taught, among others. And actually, a few things that were there in that course that actually literally impacted the way I parented, the way I lived my life. Uh, and because of the the way that he lived his life out in front as a as not just a Bible college teacher but living his life out in front of us, uh, he's been he was on staff at this church for over two decades, uh, from a young man uh, through an older man now, uh, and as well he has his parish grew far beyond this church when he stepped into he was on Surrey uh, school board for I think at least one term. Uh, and then as well for a couple of decades in Surrey City Council, and then transitioned to the provincial scene in 2013, and in his, is in his second term as the MLA for Surrey Cloverdale. And in all of those spaces and places, he's been, above all, uh, a husband to Ruth and a father to six kids and innumerable grandchildren. Um, they are able to be numbered, but they're working on that even. So, you know, can I just ask you to give your warm, warm welcome to Marvin as he comes and just shares his story of God at work. Whoa. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Just uh, for Alex's information, I have my Kleenex ready. Okay, those of you that know me know why they're there, because I don't know what's going to happen. I honestly don't. But you know, there's one problem with being asked to tell your story, and that is... Craig told me two months ago. So two months of sleepless nights. <laughs> As you wake up in the middle of the night with this, and you wake up in the middle of the night with that, and when am I going to speak? Well, let's start in the Bible. Let's start there. Because you see, there's a famous passage in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7 that you might not be quite familiar with. And it says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's my goal this morning. That's my goal. And, and I have to commend the three that have been before me, because it's been wonderful listening to it. Now, what do we mean, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness to shine? And we get lost in this scripture and we just sort of forget and skip over, right? So what I'd like to do is give you a simple illustration. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he shone in our heart, we're the prism, to give the light 
of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you see, as we came, as we come to you this morning, and, and as those who have come before and those who will be coming after, as we're coming to tell our story, what story do we tell? Because you see, we can start with the red. And we can start with the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. But what do we do with that? You see, I was born and raised in the church. Every Sunday night, there was some dirty, rotten sinner that was coming and telling their gut-wrenching story of what a horrible sinner they was, the hell's angels that were killing people. And I'm sitting there going, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us. They were wretches, but I'm not. I never murdered anybody. I never did anything like that. I wasn't as evil and bad as them, so I could never sing the song. Because I sang who saved a guy like me. Because I wasn't a wretch. I knew all these other people were wretches. They told me. And they proved it by their story. They were wretches. You see... We can focus on the blood of Jesus Christ and there are those who want us to do that and that is wonderful and that is good and that is great. But I have a problem with that. Because you see, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesies about the new covenant. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34, he says this. He says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. That's us. After those days, that's Jesus. Saying... I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, is that what we have today? We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through the priests. We don't have to go through the sacrifices and all that. Next verse, 34. No more will every man teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. Okay, so the second change before the Old and the New Testament is now the Holy Spirit is going to live in us and talk to us from the inside. Our conscience is going to be yelling and screaming at us when we do wrong. That's the second change that's going to happen. And what's the third thing that changes in the new covenant versus the old covenant is for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. What did Jesus do with your sin? Well, you see, as a little kid in church, in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are gone. But there's only one problem. God cannot forget. Because you see, if he can forget your sin, he can forget you. One out of how many billions of people that have lived on this earth and the animals and everything else. But he said, I got all the hairs on your hair numbered. I know when you comb your hair, which one comes off. Well, some more than others, right? But you see, God is incapable of forgetting. But what he does is he says, I make an act of my will. I choose. I will remember your sin no more. So if God says he's not remembering it, he's not bringing it up to me, he's not bringing it up to anybody else, why am I bringing it up? So I have a problem telling my story. I got a problem, and we'll talk more about that later. Okay, but 
we will. Let me just put this in. Because of that principle, I'm the only child in my family that buried my father in peace. Just so you know. But we'll come back to that. On back, back to the prism. Back to the prism. Okay, so we're, we're sitting there with the red. Okay, well then I could, I could tell that story, but I don't have much of a story because I wasn't a dirty, rotten sinner. I was just a dirty, rotten sinner. Because you see, all you do is lie to your mother and you're guilty, right? So even the littlest thing, I'm separated from God because God can't stand sin. He just can't stand it. You know, like he has an allergy. Those of us that have allergies. You know, the, someone has a beautiful lily in their house and it smells so nice, but when my nose hits it, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. And God's the same way. He's allergic to sin. He can't stand it. So even our little tiny ones, he says, I can't stand it. I need the blood. Or we could tell about that bready, that yellowy, orangey stuff. Now, again, you remember I'm in politics. Orange isn't my favorite color, okay? So, so we'll talk about gold, okay? So we'll talk about gold, okay? Because you see, as we look about gold, well, you see, I could talk about the blessings of the Lord. You see, I can talk about this wonderful lady that for 45 years has put up with me, you know? I can, yeah, it's amazing. Just so you know, that is a miracle in itself. Okay, and she's nodding her head. Yes, you better believe that. Or we can talk about the wonderful children God has blessed us with, or our grandchildren, or those sorts of things. Or we can talk about the green part. We can talk about the green, and we can talk about money and finances, and we can talk about our personal finances, how God has blessed us personally. Because you see, when you got absolutely nothing, you got nothing. <laughs> So, you know, we talk about affordability of houses. Well, get serious. When you don't have any money, anything's unaffordable. But then you see the way that God does miracles to provide for us and to supply for us. We can talk about tithing. We can talk about the houses we have. We can talk about the houses we gave away. We can talk about all sorts of things. Or we can continue from what Alex shared. And we can talk about the corporate and how God has blessed this house. And how God has stretched the finances in this house. And how he's just done miracles. And miracles. Even our bank manager. When our bank manager was retiring... He said, you know, it was always amazing how that somehow when I called you that we needed money, it came. Our bank manager recognized the miracle that finances was in this house. We could talk about that. Or we can go to the blue. Oh, yes, the blue. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Oh, but we're not going to do that one either. Because you see, what happened to me is when I happened to make the error of telling my kids I was going to be sharing, one of my daughters said, you got to tell this story, Dad. And I'm going, no, I don't want to tell it. I don't want to go there. It hurts too much to go there. I don't want to tell that story. She said, Dad, you got to go there. Because you see, if you're going down into the violet and the indigo... Well, it's vicious. What else do we have with violence? But you see, Romans 8, verse 32 says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, 
I am not a victim. I'm a victor. I am not a victim. And you see, there's a lot of my past that I don't tell. There's a lot of my past I don't talk about. And yes, my wife is upset with me for the last 45 years because I hide in my cave. And I still do it. I still go into my cave and I hide. Now there's an internationally famous youth pastor who I'm going to quote tonight. And you know, he made an interesting statement. He said this, famous Daniel Eliason. And you know, he is international because he was in the States and Canada, and that's too, so that makes him international, right? And you can tell by what he says there that that's really Daniel because I'm not sure that that's good English. But anyhow, the point is right. The point is what we're after, and that is you are the equation of your life choices, right? You are the equation of your life choices. Now, by the same token, I'm going to stretch that a little bit. Because you see, you're also influenced by the choices of those that came before you. Because who have you chose to be born if you were born in Canada? Who have you chose to be born in the first place? So there's some choices that were before us, and my choices go back 400 years. Because when we go back 400 years, you have this famous painting. And you see, this famous painting is about the pilgrims. And as the pilgrims came from, they suffered religious persecution in English under, the king, under good King James. Well, Mary, Queen of Scots to start with, and then, then through James, uh, fled to Holland uh, to seek religious freedom. Uh, didn't find it completely in Holland, so they got persecuted there as well, so they came to the New World. And as they came to the New World, before they landed, they threw the anchor overboard, and everyone had to sign the covenant. And the covenant was this, that I choose to obey the laws of the land. Now, there's some that were a little lawless, and they weren't sure that they wanted to choose to obey the laws of the land. But then the second part is, and I will choose to be a part of making those laws. That's why we have laws by the people, for the people, of the people. Because you, the people, get to make the laws that you are ruled by. That's what freedom is all about. That's what the liberty of North America is about. And yes, that was 1620. My ancestors came over a little later. That's the Mayflower is what that is. But we came a little later in the, later in the 1620s, somewhere in the mid-1620s, is when my ancestors came over here seeking liberty, keeping, seeking freedom, seeking to make laws based in Scripture to try to live the Word of God in this world and in this life. Now, by the same token, the first pilgrims that are here in the Mayflower, over half of them died the first winter. And it was the First Nations who taught us how to live off the land and to survive. So, we're, so we never came here as exploiters. We came here for freedom. We came here for liberty. The First Nations helped us. First Nations worked with us. And we've always had a cooperative relationship with them since then as we've built together this land of freedom then in, 19, in the 1780s, my, uh, when the rebellion happened, my ancestors moved north uh, to Canada as United Empire Loyalists. Then we'll skip a few years and we'll come to my parents. And my parents, you see, I was raised by two single parents. My father's 
father, my paternal grandfather, died when my dad was two of pneumonia, worked for CN Railway, died of pneumonia when my dad was two, so he never had a father, didn't know what a father was. I had a mother who, at the age of six, the uh, optometrist put the wrong drops in her eyes, burned her eyes. Uh, she was blind from the age of six, so she lived in residential schools and was educated in residential schools. At the age of nine, she came home one weekend, and her, mo- and the- her mother was dead. So she was raised by her father. So I was raised by two single parents. They met each other uh, uh, during the Second World War, married, had four kids, and they all lived happily ever after. Isn't that wonderful? Now, which one am I? Hmm, not so sure. Okay, but one of them is. Now, you see, last week, Jen Borja made an interesting statement. She said, your identity is not in what you do, but in whose you are. That's interesting. Because, you see, when the fourth pregnancy was discovered, my dad said, it's not my kid. That I wasn't his. I wasn't, I wasn't owned. I wasn't a part of his family. But I came out with blonde hair and blue eyes, just like my dad. But that not my kid, well, you see, this is where I don't want to violate. I don't want to violate Jeremiah. <laughs> Because when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive. As, Jesus ta- as Paul talked in Colossians 3, he says, even as Christ forgave you, forgive others. So I am really, really trying to be cautious as to what I say and what I don't say. But let me put it in about three sentences here. When dad said, I'm going out with the boys, that was the older two. Didn't include me. I was physically abused by my family, by my father. I was bullied in school. Naturally, I craved attention and recognition, so I became a Boy Scout. So maybe there's deliverance in Boy Scouts, right? I went off to a jamboree in England in 65, and I had great success there. Except I was sexually abused by the scout leader. I had to deal with that challenge. Am I gay? Well, we didn't use the word gay back then. You're homosexual. Because gay wasn't a word then. But then going through that whole confusion of who am I? What's going on inside? What's happening with me? So let me stop there. I was constantly looking for a safe place. Let's say it that way. But I could never find it. Because everywhere I went... For a safe place, there was more pain, there was more hurt, there was more violation. But you see, the reality is that as I went through that, it's like that, that, that poem you have of the um, uh, footprints in the sand, right? Because my footprints weren't there because Jesus was carrying me through it. Because I couldn't endure what was happening. He was carrying me. Because he knew what he wanted at the end. He knew what he wanted me to be. And he knew that somehow going through that path would make me who I would be. 
You see, it's very easy for me to talk about being a victim. It would be very easy for me to focus on me as a victim and demand my rights and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But you see, Jesus was carrying me. Why didn't he stop it? Because he knew what he wanted at the other end. And he knew he could carry me through it. We would make it. And that way... He knew that that would build compassion in my heart for those that were hurting. He knew that it would build in me a heart of forgiveness. Yes, I cry at funerals. I do. I do. And yes, you get a sad movie, and the Kleenexes are coming out. They do. But that's just who I am. Now, yes, I was raised in the church. But you see, when raised in the church, Raised in the church, all I saw was the hypocrites. All I saw was those who weren't living what they were talking about. And that's what I saw, and that's what I was surrounded with. It wasn't so, even church wasn't a, a safe place for me. So gradually, more and more and more, I hid in my cave, and I built my cave to hide in. My cave, well, part of it, I would spend time just watching TV and the junk on TV. And just sitting there consumed. Today they have video games. We didn't have video games back then. And I'd also study. Because I discovered a miracle happened in grade 7. All of a sudden I started getting awards for academics. I started being a smart kid. Oh, brother. (laughs) I discovered that God had given me some talents and abilities. And I started working on those abilities. But it consumed me. But then one evening, and I'm kind of cut this short because time marches on. See, one night I ended up with a youth group. That the, you know how the youth leader got me? He simply said, what are you doing tonight, Marvin? And I said, studying. He says, good, come on with us. We're going to go have coffee and go do stuff together. So I thought, yeah, well, okay, I don't need to study tonight. And I went off with them. And we ended up in one of their apartments, and we're sitting around the apartment. A mother phoned, and she said, what are you guys doing? And I said, no, just hanging out. And he said, well, if you, de- if you decide to have a prayer meeting, pray for me. Because their ears were bothering her, and so they decided to pray. Now, hey, I've been born and raised in the church. I can pray as good as anybody else. I'm, you know, heard lots of prayers, right? These guys started to pray, and they sort of went around the circle in a conversation with Jesus. And they would each sort of take their turn talking about whatever the need was. And they'd go around and I thought, hey, I can handle this. When it came around to my turn, hey, I can talk. Shh, we, I can make a prayer. And you know, my prayer was way up there to some God that was way off somewhere. But these guys were all sitting there talking to their friend, Jesus. The second time it came around. And again, I made my eloquent prayer of garbage and gobbledygook to try and get through and get past it. I couldn't make it to the third lap. I finally said, Jesus, if this is where you're at, I want you. To have a friend, to have a friend in Jesus, absolutely amazing. You see, and what happened that night, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed, all things have become new. And you know, a lot of you young guys, you just don't believe that yet. Yeah, it's a good theory. It sounds good, but I don't know. Maybe I still feel the same. I still do the same. I'm wearing the same clothes. You know, I'm still doing the same stuff. But I want you to know, you are a new creation. 
You see, I ended up in a small church because, you see, I was born and raised in a big church, and that's where you saw all the garbage. And now I got, so we went to a little church, and in this little church, strange things were happening. They had some black folk, and they would get down, and they would sing. Ooh, would they sing. And they were stomping back and forth, having a good time. And you know, some amazing things happen. But I was scared stiff. You see, I'm used to hiding in the church. I'm used to being a wallflower. I'm used to not being involved. And so I said, Jesus, I said, you got to... Now, I, I realize this is old science, but maybe some of you might have seen this. It's called a bell jar. I'm sorry, I didn't get a... I was going to get a picture of it for you to show it to you. But a bell jar is like a glass bubble that has a little valve on it that you suck all the air out of it. And you have inside an alarm going off. And you hear a ding, you know that fire alarm sound? And as you take the air out of the bell jar, the sound disappears. Because you see, sound is transmitted through the collision of the airwaves. That's why if you put your ear, your ear on the railway track, you can hear the train coming. Because the sound of the... I know none of you do that, right? That's old. Yeah. Okay, I'm old, okay? I'm old. But I'm sitting there in the church and these people are worshiping God and I'm just scared stiff. And I said, Lord, put me in a bell jar. Just put me in a bell jar. Let me just talk to you. I just want my safe place with you. I just want that safe place with you. And I discovered that his presence is my safe place. His presence is what I long for. Now, you see, I had my plans. I had nine years of university planned. I was going to get two PhDs, one in mechanical engineering, one in aeronautical engineering, and work in the jet propulsion laboratories because that's what fascinated me. That's what I wanted to do. But God had a very different plan. After I'd finished first year engineering, I, you know, my grades were fine. Everything was good, except on the inside, I felt like a duck out of water, or fish out of water, I should say. It was just, it was just, I wasn't feeling right. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I started saying, Lord, where do you want me? Well, I ended up coming in 1970 to Vancouver um, to train in the ministry. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And you see, the scripture started to challenge me that I needed to take the word of God and let the word of God begin to rule and reign in my heart and my life. That I needed to take his word, and that's when Jeremiah 31 confronted me. That's when I was confronted with my, my bitterness my resentment, my hatred for my father. That I was confronted with the fact that I needed to forgive my father. And you know the agony of it all. This was, for those of you that are old enough to remember Bill Gothard, his was always a face-to-face -face confrontation. Well, fortunately for me, there's too many miles between here and Edmonton where I'm from. So I didn't, talk, I didn't see my father, but I talked to him on the phone and I asked my father to forgive me. Now hold it a second, I'm the victim. He's the one that did it to me. 
But no, I'm the one that was guilty of my attitude. My heart was not right to my father. I had to deal with me. So I phoned my father, and I said, Dad... And now, if you think I'm frugal, I come by it honestly. It's in the genes. So my dad's getting a phone call from his son long distance, and he knows I don't have any money. So he's going, what do you want? And I said, Dad, I want you to forgive me. I said, Dad, I want you to forgive me for the bitterness and resentment in my heart for what happened in my youth. I've had a horrible attitude towards you, Dad, and I want you to forgive me. He says, Marvin, what are you talking about? And so I'm going, I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to bring up all the garbage of the past. So I took one little tiny event that was sort of nearer in history, that was sort of soft and gentle, and I said, Dad, I'm not here to condemn you for anything you did, but I'm here to condemn me for my attitude towards you. When you he said, Marvin, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I had to tell him one story. And as I told him, just one little incident, he said, Marvin, no, I did that. You're kidding, Marvin. Oh, please, please forgive me. I realized that my father was simply acting out of the ignorance he had in not having a father. He didn't know how to be a father, so he just reacted. He just took it out on me. So the next time, so so my father was very quick not only to forgive, but to ask me for his forgiveness. The next time I'm talking to him, he's saying, Marvin, is there anything else? Is there anything else? And I'm going, no, Dad, I'm not going through this. It's forgiven. It's under the blood. And as I said, I'm the only one. My dad died a couple years later. And I'm the only one of the children that put my father into the grave in peace. Because he said, I will remember their sin no more. So that's what I did. Now, again, I'm working with hippies, right? We're in 1970s. This is the Jesus movement stuff. I'm in downtown Vancouver working with hippies, working with the Jesus people. These people who were radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They absolutely love to worship. And you see, uh, the worship that we have here is so different. Now, again, I'm old school, so... You got to forgive me for that. Oh no, don't don't go yet, worship team. I'm not ready yet. I I, I still got. Oh, you're right. I got to hurry. Okay, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. They're right. I'm wrong. Got to hurry. Hurry, Marvin. So you see what happened is. They were in love with Jesus. There was a radicalness in their worship. When we would finish a song and barely take a breath, they were just in there with worship. What was their innermost being was just crying out, Oh, Jesus, your love and your forgiveness is so great and so wonderful. So there was just these volumes of worship that would come out. We had kids that were, that were sitting there. They'd come off of drugs and that, and they would have nightmares. They would have flashbacks. So Psalm 91, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. I will 
say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, my God in him will I trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. And it goes on and it's 12 verses long. You know what we would do with that? 12 verses. We'd take three verses and put them each on a piece of paper on all four of their bedroom walls. Because you see, we discovered the power of the Word of God. We discovered that the Word of God stands and the devil can't get through it. The devil can't get around it. Because our safe place is His presence. His presence is where we are safe, where we can be whole, where we can be who we're called to be. Then along came this beautiful lady. (sighs) Who else gets to go on cruise ships with Elizabeth Taylor, right? I tell you. But you see, this beautiful lady didn't just show up to church on Sundays. She wasn't a Sunday Christian. But I kept meeting her at different places, at different outreaches, at different times we were, where there were different groups, where there was YWAM, where there was different groups trying to reach out. She was there. Can we make the Bible work in our lives today? Can the Bible really work? And so there was this wonderful relationship that came up because here was a unique individual. She wanted to see the Bible working. You know where I met my in-laws? Well, the first time I met my in-laws was at a street meeting in New Westminster. My mother-in-law playing the accordion, my father-in-law leading the singing. See, that's what I got married into. It was absolutely wonderful. People who actually wanted to try to make the Word of God work and change lives. You see, I told her from the beginning, I told her, I don't know how to be a father. I says, I have, I I just don't know how to be, let's just leave it right there. I don't know how to be a father. I need your help. And I'm going to fight you. Remember, you're telling me to go out of my comfort zone. You're telling me to go out of something that I'm used to. I will fight you, but please talk to me. Please tell me. Let me go away and work it out and try to change and try to be a father. (sighs) What a challenge that was. Because you see, I need help, but I know that the Bible is my standard. When it comes to disciplining my kids, how, do I dis- how did I discipline my kids? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells me how to discipline. It tells me very clearly how discipline works. Deuteronomy chapter 4 has been my guide as far as giving is concerned. We came to Bible Fellowship, with Bible Fellowship which is now Horizon, back in September of 1978. And yes, I met Alex and Sue. Woo! And we've known them ever since. But you see, I came to a church that loves the presence of God came to a church that loved to worship. Now, yes, we bought this property in 1979. In 1979, we had a challenge. We had a challenge when we bought this property because the taxes on this property were $30,000 a year. Now, I know that doesn't sound a lot today, but you take that back to 1979. That was a fortune. And a couple of the pastors went up to challenge it at City Hall, and they came back and said, you can't do anything about it. But the question is, are we victims or victors? That's always the question. That's always the underlying thing. And I hope you're hearing that in everything I'm talking about here because we're talking about where we're going. You see, they said we can't do anything about it. I said, just pass a resolution, authorize me as the agent to let me fight this thing because it's wrong. Well, seven and a half years later, we won. But it was a seven and a half year battle, fighting with the city of Surrey, fighting with BC Assessment Authority, fighting with the provincial government. 
but we finally won and we finally got tax exemption on this property. During that process, obviously I met bureaucrats that had no common sense. I met politicians who never should have been elected. You know, they just got on somebody else's coattails. So you start shooting off your mouth and people say, you should run, you should run, you should run. And I said, I'm not interested. And then as I'm going through that challenge of thinking about that, then we get this quote from Spurgeon. If you're called to be a minister, don't stoop so low as to be the king. So now you've got to fight through that battle. What's God called us to do? What does God want us to do? How does he want us to be? How do you survive? How do I survive in politics? Yeah, okay, let's talk about politics for a few minutes. I've got 10 minutes, okay? The clock says I've got 10 minutes, okay? So how do I survive in politics? Well, it's really simple. I go to my safe place, his presence, because his presence is the safe place. How do you make the word of God work in the real world today, especially in the world of politics? Well, let me tell you. What do you do when you go to all candidates' meetings? In all candidates' meetings, everybody wants to attack you. Well, first of all, you go there talking in tongues. As you're driving the car there, you're speaking in tongues the whole way because you don't know how to pray. You don't know what's ahead, but he does. So you pray in tongues. And you spend the whole drive praying in tongues so that he knows what's going on. And then, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of mine enemies. Right? You know, we just sing these things on Sunday. No, they're life for the rest of the week. What about the political? Whoa, I'm asked to make short greetings. Come on. You come and represent whoever I was representing at the time. Come and say some greetings. Someone say hello. Well, what am I going to say? Well, that's when you cry out to the Lord. Lord, what am I going to say? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Oh, yes. And then the political attacks. <clears throat> What about when you're on the front page of the Surrey leader as a pedophile? How's that for exciting? Well, that's when you go, well, Matthew 5 tells me I'm supposed to rejoice, right? <sighs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. Then sings my soul. Then sings my soul. How great your love is. How great your love is. You see, it's not about me. It's all about him. I'm just simply the vessel. I'm just simply here to serve him. To let his light shine through this life to give whatever the message is that he wants for the world. That's what it's about. It's all about him. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah prophesies about the potter and the clay. The potter knows what he's doing. Can the clay change that? Can the clay yell out and say, you should do me differently? No, that's when you go, I exalt thee. 
I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, O Lord. Yes, I cry in His presence. And yes, you can see me sitting down there. Sometimes when you're worshiping and the wave just hits me, and His presence just feels so wonderful, I start crying. I love His presence. I love it. These aren't tears of sorrow. These aren't tears of pain. These are tears of forgiveness. They're tears of gratitude. They're tears that I love Him so much for what He's done for me. He's been so good. He's been so faithful. He's such a good, now I can't read my writing. Ah. You see, in February, my second brother passed away. The number two brother. Oh, no, no, no. I forgot. I missed one line. Please. I forgot something before my brother passes away. You see, because it's your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. See, that's what it's all about. When my brother passed away, I had to return to Edmonton. He had asked me to be the executor of his will. And so if you do the math, you realize it was 50 years ago that I left my Alberta family. And remember we talked about that scripture, 2 Corinthians, what was it, 2 Corinthians 5.17? Yeah, 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. I went home to remember my brother, to deal with the past, and the reality is, I am a new creation. Because you see, when I went home and I had to start to deal with my family back in Edmonton, I realized they haven't a clue who I am. They don't know me. They don't know this person that you know, that you've seen, that you, well, at least you know a little bit. You see, when I came home, my kids asked me how it was and I couldn't answer the question. All I could tell them was that all I wanted to do was to get to church. I can hardly wait for Sunday morning so I can worship, so I can join with the congregation and put my heart with yours and be in my safe place because I've just come through hell and I don't want it anymore. You see, His presence is my safe place. That's why I'm a worshiper, because I absolutely love His presence. That's why when we're singing songs, as we're worshiping, and there comes that little interlude in the midst of it, and they're playing along, that's when I let the inside out. That's when I let my soul magnify the Lord. I just love worship. I love to tell Him it. You see, as I was going through this battle that Craig issued to me two months ago telling me I was preaching, 
I shared with my family what was going to happen in a little bit. And yes, I shared a lot of tears because I don't want to go back there. I want to stay as the new, not the old. Put up the new. You saw the old picture. Here's the new one. That's our family. That's the one I have. I am who I am not because of my family. I am who I am because of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the one that's given me this family. He's the one that's taken away the old and given me the new. He's the one that has replaced it. And so as we were off on vacation and I was sharing, yes, all of us off on vacation together. And I was talking about this and I was talking about how I don't want to go back to a lot of the stuff of the past. My daughter wrote me a letter. And I want to read part of it. I have her I have her permission by the way. It says the change that you chose to welcome and create in your adulthood is a testament to what God can do with a willing heart and open hands. What you have chosen to forgive is incomprehensible but by God's power. I think you sharing the truth of what you had no option in would help many people realize that the victory they can walk in is not dependent on where you came from nor what happened in your life. The story is not about you. It's about what Jesus can do in a life that chooses to make Jesus Lord of every part of it. It's all about him. It's all about him. And so as I close before Craig pulls me off the platform the first thing is have you asked Jesus to be the lord of your life that's the first issue and for those of you like me as a 5 year old a 6 year old kid came forward to the altar and asked Jesus to come into your heart i want to talk about when i was 17 and where i said jesus if there's if this is where you're at i want you because that's when i made him the lord of my life the second thing is if you don't speak in tongues you need to you need to be filled with the holy spirit and have that evidence of speaking in tongues because you need the holy spirit to pray for you and with you every day through all the challenges you have and you work through. Thirdly, you need to learn to forgive. I could have spent the whole day just up there on the red part and talking about the whole process of forgiveness, but you need to forgive because the power of unforgiveness, of bitterness, of resentment will destroy you. That's why we have freedom sessions and next time we have freedom sessions if you have any of those challenges, please go. learn how to deal with it learn how to walk through it because it's changed me and the fourth one is you need to seek his presence i love worship because i love to seek his presence you need to learn to be a worshipper and just as we had this morning as we were being encouraged to in the midst of those musical interludes just let your soul cry out to him 
Just let your soul express your desire for Him, your love for Him, your gratitude for Him. Just let it flow out of you. And you know what? He'll be happy to stick you in a little bell jar so it's just you and Him talking. And you don't have to worry about anybody around you because they're all worshiping too.